Hello, and welcome to The Right Side of History, a show dedicated to exploring current events through a historical lens and busting left-wing myths about figures and events of America's past. My name is Jarrett Stepman, a contributor to The Daily Signal. And I'm Fred Lucas, White House correspondent for The Daily Signal. And this week, we're talking about the history of voter fraud in the United States, which goes back a, a lot farther, I think, than, than a lot of people think. And I, I think what we like to do here on the right side of history is we have we have Fred actually start to explain some of this history and tell a little story. So, Fred, could you could you lead up to the story that we have about the 1960 election that I, I think is so dramatic? Well, yeah, I, I actually want to read a passage from my book, uh, Tainted by Suspicion, uh, the uh, secret deals and electoral chaos of disputed presidential elections. And uh, this comes from um, Tainted by Suspicion again. It's a uh, passage starts out. Shortly after John F. Kennedy was inaugurated president, Senate Republican leader Everett Dirksen certainly election fraud in his home state of Illinois cost Richard Nixon the election, called FBI Assistant Director Cartha Deloche to ask why there wasn't an FBI investigation into the chicanery and voter fraud emanating from Chicago's daily machine. I told him the Department of Justice was investigating this, Deloche recalled to the Washington Post. I referred him to the Attorney General. Uh, the exasperated Dirksen sarcastically asked, Who is the Attorney General? Deloche answered, Bobby Kennedy. Dirksen slammed the phone. <laughs> Well, that's very uh, that's a very funny story, Fred, and it's you know goes to the point. Of course, John F. Kennedy would win the the 1960 election, right. and there was you could say a cloud of suspicion in this yeah, election. Some was, say that it was certainly tainted by suspicion. Certainly tainted <laughs> by suspicion, which is the uh, the title of of Fred's book. And uh, while eventual president Richard Nixon, who would right. go on to win, win the, the White House later on election. in 1968, uh, more or less took the high road personally during this whole uh, fiasco and, and essentially didn't call and didn't question the results of the election. There were certainly uh, Republican groups that filed lawsuits uh, and, and questioned the results in Illinois, which I think there's a pretty good uh, level of evidence that there was some uh, chicanery going on there in Illinois and Chicago. Wouldn't you say that's true, Fred? Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Illinois, uh, also in Texas, uh, LBJ's home state, where he had a lot of political connections. And um, as I get into in uh, Tainted by Suspicion, uh, also uh, uh, gets into in Texas uh, with 24 electoral votes. Uh, some of the anecdotes there is that in Fannin County, uh, Kennedy one overwhelmingly with uh, 4,895 votes, uh, uh, with 4,895 registered voters, but Kennedy got 6,183 votes. Uh, <laughs> uh, also, um, in Angelica County, Texas, uh, just has 86 people. Uh, the tally broke down 147 votes for Kennedy and 24 votes for Nixon. And uh, the, the, those were uh, that, that was enough to cast a lot of uh, yeah, a, a bad shadow on this. Uh, the Republican National Committee Chairman Thurston Morton, who was a Kentucky senator, um, led some litigation at the time in, in both uh, Texas and Illinois and looked into some other states. Um, there was a, a recount of uh, 863 precincts uh, in, in the state of Illinois. Um, 
and they, they found that Nixon's vote was undercounted by 943 votes. That wasn't enough to uh, close cutting the uh, 9,000 votes statewide, but there were some other factors, uh, as was determined by the New York Herald Tribune. The Chicago Tribune, the largest newspaper in the state, uh, said, and I'm quoting, the election of November 8th was characterized by such gross and palpable fraud as to justify the conclusion that Nixon was the de- was deprived of victory. And, and we also had later uh, the um, New York Times editorial board, even the New York Times editorial board, which uh, showed some more intellectual honesty in those days, I would probably <laughs> have to say. I uh, had a uh, November 26th editorial, uh, which said, it is now imperative that the results in each state be definitively settled by the time the Electoral College meets. Uh, a, a guy named Earl Mazo, he was a Washington reporter for the New York Herald Tribune, he traveled to Chicago uh, and he obtained a list of voters in the suspicious precincts and he began matching names with addresses. Um, and I'm, I'm quoting Mazo here. He says, There was a cemetery where the names on the tombstones were registered and voted. Uh, I remember a house. It was completely gutted. There was nobody there. But there were 56 votes for Kennedy in that house. That, that, that's so funny, Fred, because it, it reminds me of this old joke about uh, Lyndon Johnson, who, of course, was also very much in those days accused of well, potentially doing some shady business when it came to uh, the votes. There's this old joke that this little boy comes up to to Johnson and says, uh, Mr. Johnson, I just I, I, I really wanted to meet you because you're able to bring uh, people back from the dead. <laughs> and, and Johnson says, well, well, how's that? He says, well... My father died two years ago, but he voted for you last week. Thank you, Mr. Johnson, for, for bringing people back from the dead. So, yeah, he, he, he believes in, you know, everybody has a right to vote, even the dead people, Even so. the dead. Even the dead vote is, is, is very important. But, of course, you know, this, this, this issue doesn't just relate to the 1960 election. It, it relates to a lot of elections in, this, in our history, and it, it has been – I think it's fair to say that it's been a, a bipartisan affair. I mean, but yeah. I think all parties – and I'm not just including the Democrat and Republicans, but I, there have, of course, been more parties in American history. Uh, there have been accusations that the vote is not fair, that there's been some uh, level of swindling, that there's been some discrepancies in the number of registered voters versus the people who actually showed up. And you know, we do live in a country that is very much committed to uh, democracy, you could say, at least uh, free and fair elections. But you know, that hasn't always been the case. I mean, there's definitely been some, especially, I think, in the 19th century, I think there were a lot of the elections that were very much uh, called into question that, you know, there could, could have certainly been a lot of shady business. Well, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, I, another uh, election I featured in Tainted by Suspicion, uh, that's the 1876 election. Uh, that's, the, of course, the, the famous uh, Rutherford B. Hayes, Samuel Tilden dispute uh, that went on for a few months, uh, much longer than the Gore uh, Bush dispute that uh, a lot of people remember. Some call it the, the fraud of the century, and uh, yeah, that there were a lot of accusations. Yeah. Uh, the rather fraud B. Hayes, right. uh, the Republicans had actually stolen the election from Democrats over again voter fraud and other and other things. But of course, Republicans I, weren't the only party accused of doing some shady things at that time, right, yeah, Fred? Right, right, right. I, and I, I, I think in terms of um, Samuel Tilden's popular vote victory in that uh, was pretty hollow because there was so much voter suppression 
uh, both of um, newly freed uh, African Americans uh, uh, who were many who were voting for the first time, and also even white Republicans in the South. And um, uh, from the book, I, I'll read a couple of passages, uh, bullet points uh, from the book, actually get, getting into that 1876 election. But uh, the Ku Klux Klan, which was known pretty much in that those days as the terrorist arm of the Democratic Party, um, uh, they would hold burnings of Republican ballots and public burnings of Republican ballots in southern states as a sort of this intimidation tactic of saying this is what's going to happen. Uh, and the results in several elections was that turnouts in the Union strongholds of many southern states would drop dramatically. Uh, and Democrats used violence, lynchings, uh, riots during the 1876 election to scare uh, blacks away from voting, uh, knowing that it was possible that Republicans could carry some of those southern states. Hmm. Um, now, Republicans... They did a little bit of their own thing uh, in the 1876 election. Uh, they were intent to that two could play at this game, and in some cases, they actually sought to persuade African Americans to vote by shotgun. Wow! <laughs> I, I think. Um, and in Florida, which was also one of the dispute or the disputed uh, state in 2000, it was also one of the four disputed states in 1876. Uh, Democrats handed out Tilden tickets decorated with Republican symbols uh, for the uh, illiterate former slaves, uh, hoping they would vote the wrong way there. And um, and so we uh, but but during that election, we had uh, an 80 percent of eligible voters uh, actually turned out, some reportedly voting more than once and others uh, having their vote shredded if it was determined they voted for the wrong candidate. <laughs> You know, it's, it's funny. I mean, this this idea, I mean, to, only today we have this idea that you step into a ballot box and there's the ballot for you with the, the names and the candidates. But in the 19th century, you would show up to the voting booth, if there even was a voting booth, uh, with your own ballot, essentially, and you mm-hmm. with your own ticket. So, of course, parties in these days figured out a lot of chicanery in trying to manipulate people into thinking that they're voting for, say, Republicans or Democrats, when really they're voting for the opposite ticket. I know in the 1884 election, which was very interesting, we actually had a party called the Greenback Party, which was sort of aligned with Democrats and sometimes fought against them. Tammany Hall, actually... Right. Uh, created the scheme, which they convinced a lot of the Green Pack voters, uh, Green Party voters, uh, Green Pack Party voters, excuse me. <laughs> Green Press. Uh, the Green, Jill Stein. The Greens, not Jill Stein, a different party. Uh, that Well, you could vote for y- your your candidate, but we would align with some issues that the Tammany support. Of course, they put the Green Pack Party's nomination for president at the top of the ticket, but they stacked all the lower level offices, which they assumed that the voters really didn't know much about, with a bunch of Tammany Hall people. So, of course, they go in and cast their vote for president, thinking that they're voting for all Greenback Party uh, nominees, but really they're voting for all kinds of Tammany nominees. And it, it was really during this era that in a lot of places you didn't even have things like the the secret ballot, which we, we have today, which has kind of become an important part of our system where because in, in the 19th century, there were a lot of votes that were bought off. Uh, a lot of the highest bidder would people would essentially be 
have their votes bought and they would go one way or another. And you had vote watchers from the parties who would make sure that their paid for votes actually showed up and voted for the right party. And it's incredible. In the 19th century, you had all kinds of terms for these different kinds of ways you could fraudulently steal election. You had people called uh, colonizers, uh, which is a term for people who would kind of move back and forth to different districts that were at stake. Mm. They would kind of move around to make sure that they can tip an election one way or another. They had something called floaters, uh, who would go back and forth between parties. That was was something that was actually used in the 1888 election that that, that I did write about. That's right. Especially in in Indiana, you had this real problem uh, where you had floaters who were basically bought off votes. There were people who knew that they could make a a quick buck voting for either party, depending on who was the, the highest bidder. And then you had people called repeaters, who were people who essentially could vote and who voted in multiple elections and voted uh, many, many times during each election fraudulently, of course. Vote early, vote often. That that was definitely the meme. So, uh, there were certainly a lot of issues uh, in the 19th century of irregularities, and I think that did lead to a lot of reforms to make sure that we in this country had free and fair elections. You know, our system was not created perfectly. There have been issues, especially with the growth of political parties. And so things like voter fraud, I think, sent a lot of elections into chaos. I mean, there were people who questioned the validity of not just presidential elections, but elections down the board. And I think Americans who who do believe in the free and fair elections, I think, certainly had a right to be concerned in the 19th century and be concerned ever since then that our our elections are valid and legitimate, that they are done uh, with with the right things in mind. And I think that's something that certainly we've seen uh, throughout our history. And unfortunately, that hasn't always turned out the case because these, this issue continues to plague our system. Wouldn't you say that's the case, uh, Fred? Yeah, yeah. And uh, that's part of the uh, Heritage Foundation as a voter fraud database. Uh, it actually, And we're going to talk to one of our guests a little bit later about that. Uh, but it has uh, 1,088 proven cases of voter fraud. 949 of those ended in criminal conviction, uh, and there have been eight judicial findings, eight official findings, and um, uh, so so. Uh, and uh, breaking that down a little bit further, we've had just since 2012, uh, there's been at least eight elections that have been overturned because of voter fraud. That's been out of Missouri, New Jersey, North Carolina, Kentucky, California, Texas, and West Virginia. Uh, and in some cases, that's, that's, you know, of course, that's the voter fraud we know about. That's the voter fraud that was prosecuted. Right. You know, that's like with a lot of other crimes, you know, this may be just the tip of the iceberg. We may not even be looking for voter fraud specifically. Um, you know, who knows how many people have casted illegitimate votes, whether they do so unknowingly or unwittingly or with malicious intent, which is to throw an election one way or another, which I think is why a lot of people see this as a serious issue. Of course, we've had the Voter Fraud Commission, which you know was definitely been floated by by the Trump White House, and and certainly there's been a push to make sure that we are counting all votes fairly and legitimately. And certainly there are forces at play who want to stop this process. They've criticized the efforts to uh, basically go after voter fraud, saying that it's illegitimate and it doesn't exist in some cases. Yeah, uh, yeah, and, and and the Voter Fraud Commission, which was a like- Bipartisan commission, which the uh, we've had, we had Democratic secretaries of state were on that commission, and they at one point strongly defended that. Uh, but there was just so much political pressure and so much political pushback that 
it was eventually shut down. Uh, we're actually going to uh, have a member of that commission. We're going to interview him a little bit later, too. Right. And we, we also, uh, before then, we're actually going to talk to uh, a Heritage Foundation analyst who has worked on uh, voter fraud issues and has done a lot of great work finding uh, issues of voter fraud around the country. It's certainly in the last uh, few decades. Uh, this is actually Jason Sneed, who is a policy analyst at the Ed Meese Center for Legal and Judicial Studies. He's also a, a Heritage Foundation. He's a Heritage Foundation expert, and he had a lot of interesting things to say about uh, voter fraud and has done this, this great database that Heritage Foundation puts out. So uh, we're going to talk to Jason a little bit about these kind of accusations that voter fraud doesn't exist. So let's like, take a listen. So, Jason, thank you so much for joining us on the show. And I think, you know, we've talked a little bit about the, the longer history of voter fraud. And, you know, I think we'd like you to, you to answer some questions. Certainly the pushback in modern times, this idea that voter fraud doesn't exist, that we really don't need to do anything about it. And I think you've done a lot of research that shows that that's not true. Can you explain that to us? Sure, I'd be happy to. Um, so we at Heritage have actually been working on this issue for several years, and we have built out a, a database, which is searchable, which anybody can go to on the internet at uh, heritage.org slash voter fraud, that tracks proven examples of voter fraud throughout 47 states in, in the country. And when I say proven, we have documented evidence of either someone having been convicted in a court of law of having committed some sort of election fraud. We have instances where judges have found that elections uh, were, were tampered with or, or, or resulted were uh, tampered with and ordered that elections be overturned or redone. We have official finding from uh, state election boards. So we have actual proven examples that dispels this myth that election fraud just does not exact. Yeah, absolutely. Were you going to say something, Fred? Oh, yeah, I, I was just going to uh, ask. Uh, there, there's, uh, there are a lot of folks who would say, well, it's, it's, if it does happen at all, it's just so minimal uh, and and they often will point to what President Trump said, that uh, there was so much voter fraud, and that's the only reason he lost the uh, popular vote. Um, what I, I, I guess what, what would be your response to, to those uh, deniers <laughs> in some cases? Uh, sure. That, well, my, my response would be actually um, uh, kind of multifold here. First of all, I would say that elections are the core of our democracy. And so we have to be able to guarantee that the electoral results can be trusted by the, the public. Otherwise, they're going to lose faith in the process and the results of our electoral process. And certainly the consequences of, of that would be dramatic, to say the least. Secondly, it really doesn't actually take millions and millions of illegally cast or, or fraudulent ballots to be a significant problem for our democracy. We live in an era of tight elections. And what that means, simply put, is that one vote can make all the difference. You know, here uh, in the D.C. area in Virginia, control of, uh, of part of the state legislature was determined by, by, one, by one race that was actually a tie. And so they had to draw lots in order to determine the winner. Now, if even one fraudulent ballot had been cast in that election, then that could have flipped the outcome of control of, of half of the state legislature. So when we, when we look at it from that perspective, it seems pretty clear to me, at least, that we have to have a system that looks out for and tries to detect and, and, and prevent fraud in all circumstances. And what are the more uh, common forms of voter fraud that, that we're seeing, especially in modern times? And what are the kind of methods that have been put on the table to try to stop 
these this kind of voter fraud from taking place? If you could explain that. Sure. So our database is not comprehensive, and I want to say that at the outset. So we can't do any sort of statistical modeling or anything. But anecdotally, it seems that absentee ballot fraud is one of the more common types. And you can understand why, if you're filling out these ballots at home, it's relatively easy for someone to uh, commit fraud in that kind of a circumstance. And we have cases where people will fill these out in the names of others. Uh, so one person fills out 30 or 40 or 50 ballots. We have instances where people will actually go to people's houses and help them, quote unquote, mm -hmm. fill out these ballots. Uh, so you can assume that they're probably wow. telling them, oh, put the, <laughs> put, put the X here, vote for this person, that sort of a situation. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so that anecdotally is one, certainly one of the more common types of fraud that we see. And in terms of what states are doing to try to cut down on fraud, uh, we see states adopting uh, voter identification measures mm -hmm. that will be uh, that are designed that are, are tooled to uh, not restrict people from voting, which is often the allegation, which is uh, which is put forward against these sort of measures, but are designed to ensure that you are who you say you are, that you are an American citizen, and that you are a resident of the community where you're participating in the electoral process. We also see states entering into interstate cross-check programs to help cut down on instances of duplicate voting where someone votes in two states, for example. Yeah, I, I have to say, I mean, personally, I've kind of experienced this myself. I mean, I, I grew up in California. I moved to, to Washington, D.C. quite some time ago. But for a long time, my parents kept getting... Uh, absentee ballots are made and they kept they responded to the state saying essentially he no longer lives here please do not send this and then the next next election rolls around <laughs> and we're still getting the same ballots it would be very very easy for me to simply fill out that ballot turn it in and no questions asked are, are there methods that are being taken to clear the voter rolls of people who are maybe long-term voters in certain states that have moved out and gone elsewhere well actually this is a fantastic point to, to raise because you know if we're talking about ensuring election integrity the initial part of that does come come down to you know are the state's voter rolls actually properly being maintained and in a number of cases we know that that is not the case mm -hmm. uh, and in fact it seems that there are a number of states that are not taking this very seriously and so, uh, you know, I'm I'm very optimistic that there are going to be states uh, like Ohio, for example, which have, have really, you know, bit the bullet and are, are trying to adopt what I think are reasonable policy measures to go through this process of ensuring that their voter rolls are not, um, you know, not filled with people who are no longer residents of the state. But, you know, they were challenged and so they actually had to argue a case in the Supreme Court this term on this uh, on this very issue. So, so this is something which, unfortunately, even taking reasonable measures like waiting multiple elections before you actually remove someone from the rolls, contacting them, and then mm -hmm. not receiving any feedback from them that, I, hey, I am indeed still a resident of this state, even that kind of a reasonable uh, policy measure is unfortunately being challenged uh, by folks on the left. So that is a, a very, serious, uh, very serious issue that people need to be more aware of. Uh, absolutely. How, how, how do you make it, um, I guess, from the political argument, uh, when – folks who don't want any type of voter integrity measure whatsoever, and, and they start using rhetoric like this is Jim Crow again. Uh, so for, uh, how, how do you make it clear that, uh, you know, free and fair elections uh, is not going to be voter suppression? Well, I think that we have to uh, 
we have to first of all we have to confront that issue head on because that is the thing that we continue to hear is that this is going to be discriminatory this is voter suppression uh, et cetera et cetera so you do have to confront that issue head on but I think that actually um, uh, somewhat ironically for for folks on the left it was a Democrat who made the best argument that I have heard uh, uh, Bill Gardner who's a Secretary of State in, right. in New Hampshire mm-hmm. I believe and he made this point at the first meeting of uh, the president's uh, election integrity commission where he said you know it's not just about making it as easy as possible to vote. You also have to prove to people that the election itself is is secure, that the results can be trusted, that the process can be can be trusted. And so I think that it's sort of that double-edged thing. You know, the right to vote is fundamental and and we do not want to impinge on that. We do not want to take away the right of any lawful citizen to vote. But at the same time, there are people who are willing to game the system, to cheat and to try to steal elections. And as long as there are people willing to do that, we have to take as a society, I think, very reasonable measures to prevent that. I do find it very interesting, especially in the wake of the, the 26, 2016 election. There were so many people calling, of course, saying that the Russians had meddled in our elections and all these terrible things. From those same people, they're saying that no, voter fraud doesn't exist at all. We shouldn't be trying to make our, our elections uh, you know, free and fair through for extra rules to protect uh, the right of everybody to vote. I mean, if, if, frankly, if, if there's a single fraudulent vote, it's taking the right of somebody else who has cast their right. ballot legitimately. Uh, it's taking that away. I mean, shouldn't that be something that all Americans are really concerned about? Yeah, I, I would certainly think so. And we see that time and time again where, you know, yes, you're, you're essentially canceling out someone's vote on the other side. Did this used to be more of a – I mean, it would seem intuitively this would be a bipartisan concern, but it's not. Uh, uh, did it used to be and when, when did we see this change? Well, I'm not sure I can put a put a finger on exactly when it might have shifted, but it certainly has become more partisan than I think it used to. Um, you know, it was it was Justice John Paul Stevens, who is certainly no conservative, I would right, think, right. Uh, who wrote an opinion in 2008, a Supreme Court opinion, upholding Indiana's voter identification law, and he pointed out, um, you know, that America has an unfortunate but long history of election fraud, and so it's it's very reasonable for a state to be taking steps to to guard against that. So I do think that this issue, which I've always said is as as you point. It's an American issue. It's not a Republican or Democrat, conservative or liberal issue. But unfortunately, as many things in in, in today's <laughs> politics, it's become a victim of sort of a hyperbolic rhetoric and a hyperpartisan era. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for joining us on, on the right side of history, yes, Jason. Thanks. We really appreciate it. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. I caught up with Jay Christian Adams uh, recently after the uh, Bradley Symposium on the State of the Constitution, an an event that was held at the Heritage Foundation. Adams uh, serves as the president and general counsel for the Public Interest Legal Foundation. He served from 2005 to 2010 in the voting section of the United States Department of Justice. He's the author of the New York Times bestseller, Injustice, which examines the department's election and voting rights record. Fred asked Adams about voter fraud throughout American history. Voter fraud is is always been a problem. Uh, It's met with various solutions uh, that over time, uh, such as the Australian ballot, where people can vote in secret. Uh, Voter fraud used to come in the form of mobs telling people how to vote, uh, forcing votes to go a certain way, where people didn't get to express their own will. Uh, You had elections like the 1960 election. Uh, You had Lyndon Johnson, who was notorious for uh, getting uh, votes out of places like Zavala County, uh, Starr County, Texas, that really swung the election to Johnson. So uh, it's something that comes in different forms in different eras. Okay. 
Okay, uh, yeah, let's talk about the, the 1960 election. Um, that was the case when you had Cook County, Illinois, Chicago area with the Daily Machine in there. Uh, is, is that something uh, that could still happen today? Well, of course, because all you have to do is look at 2000, where uh, the control of the presidency was decided by, I think it was 534 votes. Mm-hmm. Now, I can tell you, we have since learned that in the state of Florida, uh, since 2000, that they have a real problem there with non-citizens getting on the rolls uh, and getting on the rolls through defects in the motor voter law and voting in elections. So I would hazard a guess to say that that 534 number uh, in the 2000 election that decided the presidency is probably not accurate. It's probably much different than 534 uh, because of non-citizen participation. Non-citizen participation is the latest, greatest form of voter fraud. It is uh, number one on the list of problems because it's done um, with a tacit uh, vehicle of federal law, which is motor voter, they're getting on the rolls when they go to get voter ID or federal uh, ID, uh, state ID, I should say, to, to drive. So they're getting on the roll with a tacit uh, approval of the federal system, and they're doing it quietly. Nobody's checking. And so that's why uh, alien voting has become the number one problem. Adams also talked about what his organization, the Public Interest Legal Foundation, found out about voter registration problems. And the documents you refer to are uh, voter registration forms that I showed that we have stacks of that say, are you a U.S. citizen when they register to vote? And they actually mark the box truthfully, no, and they're still getting registered to vote. Uh, It borders on comic. And so, yes, it's true it's administrative, but it's not all guilt-free because... Well, yeah, I mean, clearly if they're voting... Right, and, and but more than that, you have an entire election administration apparatus, particularly in Virginia, that was more troubled by groups like the Public Interest Legal Foundation that I run uncovering these facts than they were troubled by the fact that aliens were getting on the rolls. And so, yes, it's true that this appears to be sort of an innocent mistake, but it's also true that the people responsible don't seem to care, and probably even more dangerous, Fred, is that you have... Uh, you have large, powerful left-wing groups trying to preserve the defects. They're going to court in the District of Columbia Federal Court, in Kansas, around the country to try to stop efforts to clean this up. Okay. Oh, what are the groups? Uh, Legal Women Voters, Common Cause, Demos, Project Vote no longer exists. They went out of business. ACLU. These are all organizations that are attempting to preserve the vulnerabilities in our electoral system that allows aliens to register to vote and vote. During the interview, Adams also referenced a few known and widely suspected cases where voter fraud made a difference in election outcomes. If, if I were to, as I did today at the Heritage Foundation, show a series of slides of government documents with voter registration forms of people who registered to vote as uh, aliens, who said they were aliens and still got on the voter rolls, If I showed those slides 40 years ago, every single group, every single ideology, every single party affiliation would be angry about it. They would do something about it. But today, and I can name some of the the people who would be potentially listening to this or reading this, uh, who would hear this and make excuses instead. 
for what's happening. Oh, it's not a lot, or, or well, you know, the who says they voted, or maybe they didn't change the outcome of the election. Well, don't forget, Virginia control of the Virginia House of Representatives, which meant the entire government of Virginia, was decided by a coin toss. Presidency was decided by 500 votes. Uh, Al Franken became senator and voted to approve Obamacare as the deciding vote by just a few hundred votes. Voter fraud makes a difference. You had to, in Missouri, for example, they had to redo a house race because of voter fraud. In North Carolina, they had to redo elections there because of voter fraud. So it's not something that is uh, mythical, it's something that's real and it's something that's corrosive. Thanks to everyone for joining us on The Right Side of History. If you'd like to listen to past and future broadcasts, you can also check us out on SoundCloud, Stitcher, or the Daily Signal website. Also, take a look at the Daily Signal's Facebook page for where we air our next program. And if you're further interested in our work, check out my Twitter, at Jarrett Stepman, and Fred's Twitter handle, at WH. Thanks again for listening. You've been listening to The Right Side of History, executive produced by Jarrett Stepman and Fred Lucas. Sound designed by Michael Gooden, Lauren Evans, and Thalia Rampersad. For more information, visit heritage.org.